Well, happy Easter, everybody. How are you guys doing this morning? You guys doing good? Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is TJ. I'm one of the pastors here. And we're so glad that you're joining us this Easter weekend at Coastal Community Church. Uh, everybody right here in our Parkland Auditorium, can you help me welcome some people? We have some people in overflow here. We have people that are watching online. We also have our Lighthouse Point location, man. We're so glad you guys are joining with us this morning as we are diving into Easter. And before we kind of dive into today's message, I, I just want to talk to some people that are here. Uh, there is a tendency, or kind of, I would say it's almost a tradition at this point, uh, that people have a tendency to come to church on two dates. That's Easter and Christmas, okay? That's, that's when people come to church. And, uh, and I just want to let you know that there are, there's way more in this book than those two stories. I don't know if you've realized it or not, but on Easter and on Christmas, it's the same story every single year. And so here's what I would ask. I would ask that you would give us a shot on another weekend and, and find out some of the other things, because I promise you, uh, if you'll come back on another weekend, I believe that God will encourage you. You'll be inspired. God will challenge you. You'll be changed from the inside out, because I know what God is doing here in our church and a lot of people's lives. And so I want to invite you back on a different weekend besides Easter so you can experience all that God has for your life. As I was thinking about this weekend in particular, I was thinking about the fact that there are some things in life that, that should be experienced more than once. Can you all agree with that? Like There are some things in life that should be experienced more than once. Like Let me, let me give you an example. Ice cream should be experienced more than once. Come on. Anybody agree with that right there? Come on, show of hands. How many of you guys believe ice cream should be experienced more than once? How many of you guys think vacations should be experienced more than once? Okay, there we go. Now I'm talking to somebody's love language right there. How many, how many of you have ever gone on a vacation and when you got home you needed a vacation from your vacation? I'll tell you why that is because that wasn't a vacation. That was a trip. And there's a big difference between a trip and a vacation. A trip is what you take with your children. A vacation is when you leave the kids at home and you get away. I just set some people free right there. You're like, every kid is like, I'm going to get left at home now. Yes, you are. You'll thank me later for it. There are some things in life that should be experienced more then once, I'll give you another example. My wife and I, we were foster parents. We, we had a foster son for, for almost two years. His name is Alexander. He just recently turned four years old. He got reunited with his biological father. But we happened to pick him up for, for his birthday. In fact, I have a picture of him. This is Alexander right here. This is our other kid. This is Preacher. He's a great Dane. Uh, he's actually in charge at our house. Uh, and, and so I picked Alexander up. He lives all the way down in Hollywood. For his birthday, he's going to spend the weekend with us. And so we were driving back, and as we were driving back, it's about a 45-minute drive from where he lives in Hollywood to our house here in Parkland. And uh, as we were driving, my, my phone was just playing through, through my iTunes music, things that I've downloaded over the years. And when we were almost home, all of a sudden, a song pops on that he instantaneously falls in love with, and it sounds like this. Come on, sing along if you know it. There we go. There we go, Parkland. I'm proud of you. Proud of you. You guys must be believers too. <laughs> so this song pops on, 
And immediately I look in my rear view mirror and Alexander is dancing in his car. See, he's bouncing around. He's singing the words. It's like he's never heard the song before in his life. And all of a sudden he's baby, baby. Oh, like that's all he's got of it. But he's jamming to it. I take out my phone. I grab it to try to take a picture of him. And I realize that there is a major flaw on iPhones because the moment you hit your camera, the song, this iTunes goes away. Steve Jobs messed up before he died. He did not fix that problem. Uh, whoever runs Apple, you need to fix that. Okay, like you're watching right now. But anyways, so, so I, I, we get home and I'm like, Shayla, you've got to see, you've got to experience what I just experienced. It's the cutest, most adorable, amazing thing. We, like, we need to go somewhere in the car. She's like, listen, we'll go to dinner tonight. And I was like, okay, when we go to dinner tonight, you're going to see this, you're going to experience it, it's going to be great. So we get in the car to go to dinner. When we get in, I, I turn on the song, and immediately he's dancing, and he's singing. Shayla's like, this is so adorable. She tries to take a picture with her phone. For some reason, her camera on her phone isn't working. The song ends, and from the back seat, we hear, again? <laughs> so being the good parents that we are, we, we play it again. Goes through the entire song, and the song ends, again? Now, you can only listen to Baby by Justin Bieber so many times in life. <laughs> and so, like, we're playing it a third time in a row, and Shayla's like, let's find a different song that he might like. It's, like, kind of poppy or whatever. And so as soon as it gets done, she puts on a different song. And from the back seat, we hear, that's not it. I don't like. I want Baby, Baby, Baby-O. And uh, we listened to Baby, Baby, Baby-O for the next three days. And uh, he learned how to say it so that the, our, our little, what, what is that thing in our house? Alexa, Alexa was playing Baby, Baby, Baby-O again and again and again. Because some things in life should just be experienced according to Alexander over and over and over again. But how many guys know that on the other side of that, there are some things in life that you wish you could experience again. There's that hug that you wish you could give just one more time. There's that I love you you wish you could just say to that person one more time. There's that moment that you said no to that thing that you wish you could go back in time and say yes to. There's an opportunity that you wish you had the opportunity, the, 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 just one more time to go, no, 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 I'm going to make a different decision this time. And here's what I know, that no matter where you are on your journey of faith with God, whether you believe in him completely and fully, or whether you're here at church on Easter weekend just kicking the tires of faith, there are all of us have these moments in our life that are defined by this word called regret. And I think it's kind of common to the human experience for us to face these moments. And the moments of regret are, are difficult moments, they're, they're painful moments. We've all had the feeling 
of regret in our life. We've all experienced the pain of regret. We've all experienced the confusion of regret in our lives. And I don't know if you know this or not or have realized it, but this is the feeling of Friday on the very first Easter. The very first Easter, that Friday day, was a day of regret. It was a day of disappointment. It was a day of confusion. It was a day of how did we end up in this place? Has anybody ever asked themselves, like, how did I end up here? Like, how did I end up in this moment? Like, what did I do to end up in this place? Like, what am I going to do moving forward from here? This isn't what I wanted, but it's the feeling of Friday. And I want you to think about it with me for a moment. Maybe you're familiar with the story. Maybe you're not familiar, but there are 12 disciples who, who are followers of Jesus. The Bible tells us there were 72 others that were kind of like the next layer of, of, of believers that were there. Then there were thousands of people that, that were impacted by Jesus' ministry. And these people that were following Jesus, a lot of them had, had, had given up their homes. They had sold their possessions. They had left lucrative careers. They, they had walked away from from different family obligations because they thought that they had discovered the savior of the world. In fact, they thought that they were like getting in on the ground level of the Messiah of the world and now Jesus is dead. He's dead. Can you imagine the disappointment? Can you imagine the feeling of pain and betrayal? Can you imagine the feeling of Friday? that I think we've all experienced in life. I think they were thinking to themselves, Do you, is he really who he said he was? Can we really trust him? Is he really gonna get up on the third day? Like, is that really going to happen? Is it gonna play out the way we thought it was gonna play out? It's the feeling of Friday, it's the hurt of Friday. And I think we've all been there because it's part of the human experience. And as I was thinking about this story, I was thinking about one person in particular who I think that all of us can relate to in some form or fashion in life, and it's a guy named Peter. Peter was one of the disciples. Uh, Peter is, the, is probably one of my favorite characters in the Bible. I can relate to him a lot. He's a little bit of a hothead, and he also carried a knife with him. Like, I think you need some friends in life that will cut somebody for you. I'm just saying, he, he loved Jesus and he was a little bit hood. I think you can build a great church with somebody that's hood and a little bit Jesus. And if you're hood and a little bit Jesus, welcome home. We love you here, your family now. And so here's kind of the scene. Jesus is at the Lord's Supper. It's the Michelangelo painting where he's sitting in the middle. All the disciples are next to him. This weird picture. I don't think that's how it went. And uh, they're having this dinner. It's what we call communion today and and at the end of it jesus pulls peter off to the side and he says hey peter i want to let you know before the rooster crows in the morning you're going to deny me three times and peter's like jesus there ain't no way i'm going to ever deny you we are boys we are ride or dies i am with you for life i've got your back dude don't think that i would ever deny you and jesus is like all right calm down but I'm just letting you know, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows in the morning. And so we see later that evening that Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. 
he gets betrayed by Judas and and the Roman centurions come and they, they grab Jesus and Peter whips out that knife and cuts off a dude's ear in that scene. Some of you are like, for real? I was like, read your Bible. It's in there. And they end up taking him to trial. He goes to trial. He ends up at a guy na- named Caiaphas's house. And Caiaphas, in this home, he is going on trial. They're trying to convict him to, where he's eventually going to go to the cross and, and, and pay for the sins of the world. And the scene is, is, is Jesus is in there getting questioned, and outside in the courtyard of Caiaphas' house are these pits of fire where people are hanging out. And one of the people that's hanging out is Peter. And as Peter is warming himself by the fire, the Bible says that a little girl came up to him and said, hey, weren't you one that was with Jesus? And he's like, nope. Somebody later comes up to him and says, hey, uh, you sound like you're from Galilee. Aren't you one of his followers? He's like, I've never met the man. Finally, a third person is like, hey, I know you are with them. I saw you with them. And, and this is Peter's response in Luke chapter 22, verses 60. It says, Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And listen to this next sentence. As he was speaking, the rooster crowed. Have you ever gotten news from somebody and as soon as they said it to you, like you just felt your heart just fall to the floor? Like, this is how Peter feels in this moment. This is the feeling of Friday. The rooster crows as he sang these words, and then the worst part is this next little part. It says, the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. So Jesus is on trial. These accusations are coming at him. There's this conversation going on. Then outside, there's this other conversation where they're like, you were with him. And he's like, no, I'm not. You were with him. No, I wasn't. You were with him. No, I wasn't. Rooster crows. He turns. He locks eyes with Jesus in that moment. I've learned in life, it's really painful to disappoint somebody. It's a whole nother level to actually have to face that somebody you disappointed. And this is exactly where Peter is. Can you imagine the feeling of Friday for Peter? The feeling of disappointment? And honestly, church, I think we've all been there in life. We've all had that moment where discouragement and regret and pain and loss and fear has set into our lives. And in those moments, those moments have a tendency to blind us to the possibility of believing that anything could get better from this moment. I imagine that in that moment, Peter probably thought like, man, even if he is really who he said he was and he's going to get up three days later, our relationship will never be the same. Like, we'll never have the same level of friendship. We'll never have the same level of trust. Like, I might as well just like go ahead and throw in the towel. In fact, I know that this is how Peter was feeling based on a passage of scripture in John chapter 21. After Jesus is actually put in the grave, it says, Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. And he's talking to the disciples. And the disciples said, we'll come too. 
Now, some of you are like, well, what does that have to do at all with this story? Maybe he was just going to blow off some steam. No, no, no. He wasn't going to blow off steam because what you have to understand about this passage is the very thing that Jesus called Peter out of was fishing. He said, Peter, you're a fisher of fish, and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. And then the pain and regret of Friday happens, and all of a sudden, what does Peter do? He begins to lose the identity that God gave him and goes right back to who he had always been. And I imagine in that moment that Peter probably thought to himself, there's no way he could ever want me. There's no way that he could ever use me again. There's no way that he could work in and through my life. And I believe that for some of you that are out there that are watching online or in another environment, that you're living a Friday moment. You're living a Friday moment and you're just thinking, this is my lot in life. This is just how it's going to be. This is just going to be my story. It can never get better than this. It can never get be, uh, bigger than this. It could, God could never redeem my situation. So you know what you're doing? You're going back fishing. You're living all of the knots in life. This is not what I had planned. This is not what I expected. This is not how I imagined my marriage would turn out. This is not where I thought I would be at this point in my career. This is not the financial situation I dreamed of. I never thought that I would be having these feelings of anxiety and depression at this point in my life. I never thought that at 40 I would be single again. It's the feeling of Friday. And what will happen is that regret will begin to so cloud your perspective that you'll begin to believe that nothing could ever get better. And church, I'm just here to tell you today that Easter is proof that dead things in your life can come back to life. I'm just telling you, Easter is proof that dead things in your life can come back to life. I love what C.S. Lewis said. He said, Easter is death working backwards. If there's anything that I want to sink into your heart and into your mind today is that Jesus can make dead things come back to life. And maybe you're here and you've celebrated Easter, but my question for you today is, is have you actually experienced Easter? Like Easter is not just the historical reality that Jesus got up out of the grave. It's the, Easter is the reality that his death, his burial, and his resurrection can cause dead things in your life to come back to life. That marriage that you think is over can be resurrected in Jesus' name. That financial situation that you find yourself can be resurrected in Jesus' name. That addiction that has overwhelmed your life can be broken in Jesus' name. Why? Because our God brings dead things back to life the bible says it this way in romans chapter 8 verse 11 the spirit of god who raised jesus from the dead it lives in you it lives in you and just as god raised christ jesus from the dead he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same spirit living within you you're like tj what what does that mean what it means is that whatever amount of spirit it took to get jesus up out of the grave that same amount of spirit is available to whatever you're going through in your life 
It's, it's one of the reasons why some of you are living such a frustrated life here today because you've put forth your best effort. You've gone out and done your big things. You've given your very best. You've turned over a new leaf. You made New Year's resolutions. You remember those three years, three months ago? <laughs> and three years ago? And you failed. Why? Because you don't need a natural power. You need a supernatural power working in your life. You don't need something from this earth. You need something that's beyond this earth that can work and move and change you from the inside out. Let me give you the TJ version of this. Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. He came to make dead people live. Jesus didn't come to make you a better version of yourself. And listen, I'm all about growth. I'm all about you being better today than you were yesterday. I'm all about you being the best self next year, than you, better than you were this year. But Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people live. He didn't come to make a better version of you or, or help you meet your resolutions or your goals or be a better person or be a lot less angry or not speed so much. No, there's something that's dead on the inside of you and without the hope of the person of Jesus Christ in your life, he came to make those dead things in your life come back to life. You need the resurrection power of Jesus encountering your life. And some of you, you have celebrated Easter, and, and that's a wonderful thing. But, like, have you truly experienced it? Have you experienced it to the point where it is changing you and transforming you on the inside? Love what Jesus said about himself in Revelation chapter 1. He says, I am the living one. And this is a big deal because this is what separates Christianity and Jesus from every other major world religion. See, every other religious leader that's ever lived on this planet is dead and in the grave. There's the only one that's still living. He says, I was dead. And he says, now look. He's like, look at your boy. I'm alive forever and ever. And here's what he said. I hold the keys of death in Hades. In other words, here's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, listen, listen. He's going, he's going Our, my, I'm so bad. I beat up the devil and I took the keys to his own house. I don't know about you, but that's the kind of God I want to serve. I want to serve a God that can beat up the devil and take the keys to his own house. He said, that's mine now, buster. Sorry, I'm a little hood. I, I'm just, just comes, I, I have a pink jacket on, but that doesn't mean I'm not hood. Okay. I was thinking about that this week, and uh, a, a couple of years ago, uh, I had one of these moments. It was one of these embarrassing moments where... I locked my keys in the car while it was still running. Anybody ever locked their keys in their car while it's still running? Okay, a couple of you. How many of you guys have locked your keys in your car? Come on, raise your hands. Raise them up high. Raise them up high. Wave them there like you just don't care, okay? Okay, there's quite a few of us in here. I locked my keys in the car with it running, and immediately, this is what I've learned every person does when they lock their keys in their car. They just go. <laughs> like, this is going to help the situation. You're like, yep, that's my car, and the keys are in there. Immediately after everybody does that, they do the next thing. They go, they check the doors, they, front door, back door. Like, I went and checked the trunk. I was like, maybe it'll just pop open, you know. It's like, I'll check this side too. I, I checked them all, and I was like, man, I, I'm in trouble because my wife was gone. I didn't have another key with me. I'm like, what am I going to do? I, eventually, this is going to run out of gas because we don't always have a lot of gas in our cars. Uh, and, and then I remembered I, I had OnStar with this car. 
And, and I remember calling OnStar and, and giving them my name and my information about the car. And then I gave them my password. And I was like, hey, here's my problem. My car is running and my keys are locked inside of it. Um, can you unlock it? And from space, <laughs> unlocked. Scary. Come on, can we all agree that's creepy right now? But it was amazing. And it got me thinking about that situation. Like, that car was mine. As I was peering into it, every possession within that car was mine. The problem was is I didn't have the key. And, and, and here's what I think. I think some of you are living this life and you have all the inheritance that God wants to give you. And you're walking around the car and you're looking at the peace that you could have. You're looking at the blessing that you could have. You're looking from the, at the freedom from addiction and the freedom from anxiety. You're looking at the, the future marriage that you could have and the career that you could have. And you're wondering, like, how do I actually possess it? The problem is, is that you don't have the key. And what you have failed to realize is that Jesus came down and defeated death, hell, and the grave. So you could have the opportunity to call your heavenly OnStar who can unlock everything in your life. He can unlock the hope that you're looking for. He can unlock the peace that you're looking for. He can unlock the freedom from addiction that you're looking for. All you got to do is connect to your heavenly OnStar. Now, I've just learned that Jesus is the difference between the life you are living and the life you could be living. He's the difference. Whether you believe in God or you don't believe in God, the Bible tells us that, that eternity has been placed in every single man and woman's heart you're like what does that mean it, it, it basically means that there's something that's inside of you that goes there must be more to this than what i'm experiencing and you may not believe that jesus is the solution to that problem in your life but all of us are searching for it you search for it in that next pleasure you search for it in that next relationship you're searching for it in that next promotion. You're searching for it in that next experience or that next vacation. Or you just think to yourself, if I can go here, meet this person, do that. Because eternity has been placed in your heart. And I'm just proposing to you today that Jesus can close the gap between the life you are living and the life that you could be living because he has the key. And some of you may be thinking, well, pastor... Like, I'm just too far gone. Like, there's no way that God would ever accept me. Like, I, or you, you're saying to yourself, like, I've tried the whole religion thing and I didn't live up to its standards. Or, or maybe you're here and you go, you know what? The only reason I'm here at church on an Easter Sunday is because that's what mama wanted. And what mama wants on Easter, mama's going to get on Easter. Because everybody knows if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy at home. So we, we just doing mama stuff. Or maybe you just think, I don't, I don't think that God would ever want to work in my life. And I think Easter is a reminder that Jesus tells us just one more time. It's all about one more time. 
The reason I believe that is because what's communicated in, in this passage in Mark, where the three ladies are running to the tomb on Easter morning to anoint Jesus' body with spices, and when they get there, the tomb is rolled away. The stone is rolled away, and they walk inside, and they get frightened because an angel is in there. They freak out just like all of us would if we saw an angel. And this is what it says in Mark 16. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him, but go and tell his disciples and Peter. That's a weird statement because Peter is a disciple. Why in the world would the angel said, go tell the disciples and Peter? Because I believe it shows the heart of God for every single one of us. He knows us by name, and he understands the pain and the regret and the disappointment. I'm sure that God from heaven was looking down, and he saw the regret that Peter was facing on Friday and the sleepless night that night. And as he woke up on Saturday and replayed the scene over and over and again in his head as he heard the rooster crow and go, why did I say that? Why did I do that? Why didn't I just confess that I was with him? Like, what, what was the problem? The confusion and the pain and the regret, and the angel said, I want to make sure not only do the disciples know, but I want to let you know that Peter needs to know this as well. Let Peter know that I'm not done with him yet. Let Peter know that I've still got a plan with him for him. Let Peter know that there is no place that he can run to, that my grace will not meet him there in that moment. And I'm here to tell some of you. I'm here to let you know, God, I believe that God sent me here just to let you know that there is no place that you can run to, that there's nothing that you can do there's no distance that God would not reach to with his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness to touch your life The Bible tells us that God's mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. Even when you and I are faithless, God is always faithful. So if you've had a Friday moment, he wants to let you know, too. Let you know that he has a plan for you. Let you know that he has a purpose for you. Let you know that he doesn't just want to know you, but he also wants to help you move past the mistakes of your past so you can walk into the hope of your future. He doesn't want you just to celebrate Easter. He wants you to experience Easter. And that's my invitation to you today. It's to invite you on this journey. It's, my desire isn't that you would just come to church on Easter Sunday. It's that you would come to church every Sunday. That you would begin to de discover how to know God and find freedom and discover purpose and make a difference with your life. So how do we do that? Two things really quick. I'm running out of time. Number one, you've got to stop doubting. Stop doubting. I think I'd make a great counselor. Hey, what's your problem? Stop it. <laughs> Let's schedule our next session. That'll be 
<laughs> Let me say it a different way. Stop believing the lies of the enemy. Stop believing the lies of the enemy. The Bible says it this way, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. You're basically saying, I'm going to stop believing the lies of the enemy. Now, what I'm not saying is, is put your faith in yourself. Because a lot of you have already done that and you've already found that you've tried that and it's failed. I'm saying put your faith in something that is bigger than yourself. I'm saying put your faith in God. What does that mean? It means you look at your life and go, man, I haven't been able to fix this aspect of my life, God, but I believe you can. I can't fix the brokenness that's in my marriage, but God, I believe that you can. And what you have to do is you have to stop believing the lies of the enemy that this is how it's always going to be. This is what I'm just going to live with. This is how, how we're just going to continue for the rest of our life. And a lot of us, we go round and round on the merry-go-round of the lies that the enemy is feeding us. And we have to stop believing the lies and go, no, our God is bigger. Our God is greater. Our God is stronger. He's a deliverer. He's a resurrector. He can change things in an instant. And I'm going to believe that. we got to stop believing the lies. We to believe that our God is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask, think, or imagine according to his power that's working in us. So we've got to stop doubting. Then number two, I would invite you to start living. Start living. Because some of you are breathing, but you aren't living. In fact, some of you have been here on the planet for a really, really long time, but you aren't living because there's something that's dead on the inside of you. The Bible says it like this in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. It says, because of his great love for us. And I just want to stop right there because somebody needs to hear this today. With all sincerity, God loves you. God loves you. Not with the human kind of love that we have that is transactional. Because let's be honest, we love people that will do things for us, that will reciprocate things for us. That's a conditional kind of love. God says, no, 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 I, that's not how I love. I have an unconditional love. doesn't matter what you do, I choose to love you. Way beyond what you could ever experience. God loves you. It says, because of God's great, great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, which I love that right there. He's rich in mercy. It means he has an abundance of mercy available for us. What that means is that, like, if you run out of your allotment of mercy, it's not like God says, oh, man, it sucks to be you, Shayla. You messed up one more time. I don't have any left for you. I've got to give that to TJ because he hasn't screwed up as much. He's always right in the marriage. You're wrong, you know. <laughs> See, right there, I just needed some mercy. And God's rich in it. It says he made us alive with Christ even when we were dead. There it is again, we're dead. Why are we dead? Because of our transgressions. 
Another version of that would be sin. It is by grace that you have been saved. And I want to invite you, church, to start living here today. Start living by letting the resurrecting power of Jesus come into your life. To let death work backwards because we're dead in our trespasses. We're dead in our transgressions. We're dead in our sins. See, we're all sinners. And I'm not saying that to be condemning. It's just the reality of the human condition. We are all sinners. And if you don't believe that we're, we're all naturally born with sin, you've never been around a toddler. <laughs> toddler will look you right in the eye and tell you, no. Not even blink. We aren't mistakers who make mistakes. A mistake implies that it was an accident. No, we're sinners who sin. In fact, some of y'all plan your sin. You're like, no, I don't. I'll give you an example. When I get to work tomorrow, I'm going to give them a piece of my mind. That's you planning your sin. Some of y'all are convicted right now. Why? Because we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. The Bible says that the wages of our sin is death. It's eternal separation from an all-loving God who never desired that for us. But it goes on to say the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. Like God has this incredible gift for every single one of us. It's, he's no respecter of persons. Like it's available to all of us. And here's the thing about a gift. A gift just has to be received in life. Like, nobody has ever given me a gift, and as soon as they give it to me, and I open it up, I take out my phone, I Google how much it costs, and I'm like, hey, can I cash app you for that? Like, that would be weird and disrespectful and rude, right? You wouldn't do that. What do you do? You receive the gift. And God has this incredible gift for you and I. In fact, Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He wasn't making a definitive statement about Christianity. He was making a statement about that you can't earn your way to salvation. You can't achieve your way to salvation. No, no, there, there's one way to salvation, and it's actually a, a, a you receiving what Jesus did over Easter weekend, his death, his burial, and his resurrection defeating death, hell, and the grave so you could experience living life. And so I'll ask you again here today, are you celebrating Easter or are you experiencing Easter? Because if you've never experienced Easter, I want to invite you to experience the peace that you've been longing for, the hope that you've been looking for, the freedom from addiction that you've been trying to break on your own. The restoration of those relationships that you haven't been able to do. The areas of your life that have been dead that God wants to begin to resurrect. And what he's saying to you today is that you can have a fresh start. You can have a new beginning. Because of the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. With every head bowed and every eye closed across 
every location and environment. Maybe you're out there today and you say, you know what, Pastor TJ, I, I've celebrated Easter, but I haven't experienced Easter like you're talking about where, where there is a God that loved me so much that he would sacrifice the greatest gift that he could, his son, so that I could experience hope, that I could experience peace, that I, I could have joy in my life, that I could be reconnected to my creator, that I could begin to move past my past and into the future that God has for my life. And maybe you would say, I need to do that for the first time or the first time in a long time. It begins with a simple yet significant prayer that changes everything for everybody. And if you would say, you know what, Pastor TJ, that's me. I need to experience that, that new beginning, that fresh life today. You can do that. If you were to slip it your hand at the count of three, I'd love to pray a prayer with you. One, two, three. Go ahead and slip your hand up. Yes, ma'am, I see you. Yes, sir, over there. Yes, yes. Five, six. Come on, slip them up. Seven, yes, ma'am, I see you back there. Who else? Don't miss your moment. Some of you, you feel God tugging on your heart right now. You know that this is your moment. Don't, yes, I see you back there. Eight, thank you. Anybody else? If you just pray this prayer in your heart as I pray it out loud, say, God, thank you for loving me so much. That you would give the most precious gift that you could give your one and only son. So that I could have life. And the Bible says I could have it more abundantly. God, I ask you to forgive me of my past. The mistakes that I've made. The, the sin that I've had in my life. Forgive me of that. Come into my heart. Take over my life. God, fill me with your love and your joy and your peace and your patience and your kindness and your goodness and your mercy. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Lead and guide me all the days of my life. I surrender my will and my way to you. Thank you for loving me so much. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. And everybody said...